Welcome to Nonprofit You, a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host, and I'm a consultant to nonprofits specializing in community and organizational development. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities, and you can find Nonprofit You on Facebook and Twitter. I encourage you to comment early and often using the hashtags NonprofitU, Shelby Parchman, Small Business Development, not your Shark Tank. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit underscore you. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. You'll find a link to open the account on the episode page, and you can also email me questions at consulting at ValerieFLeonard.com or send messages through Facebook and Twitter. You'll find a Nonprofit You fan page on Facebook, and the Twitter account is at Nonprofit You. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 20 or maybe 30-minute mark or so. It depends on how this conversation goes, and it depends on how eager you are to jump into the conversation. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is area code 347-884-8121. Today's episode is Not Your Shark Tank. We'll talk about a number of things with our guest, Shelby Parchman. Shelby is a serial entrepreneur, and he has started many successful small businesses, including BHK Laboratories, Inc., and the Functional Beverage Group, Inc., and Shelby has taught many entrepreneurs how to start and grow small businesses, and he's been a featured speaker at workshops sponsored by the City Treasurer's Office and the City of Chicago's Office of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection. Just recently, his work has been featured in the Chicago Tribune's Blue Sky Innovation section, Six Ways to Make Sure You Don't Tank Your Business Plan. And he has also just recently launched a new venture that he can tell us a little bit more about later on. And he has recently worked as the managing director for Sunshine Enterprises, as well as um, prior to that being the manager of financial services for the Duman Entrepreneurship Center where he assisted clients in securing microloans. So consistently throughout his career, rather he's been an entrepreneur or working with small business development centers, he has consistently, consistently nurtured other small business owners. So before we get started, Shelby, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you came to become an entrepreneur, and what made you decide to also mentor businesses with small business development centers? Sure. Uh, first of all, Valerie, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you know, that's a question that people always ask, and it's kind of funny how sometimes uh, as you're walking through life, you don't think that you are ready to be an entrepreneur but something happens and some spark hits and all of a sudden you're looking at starting your own business. And um, I looked at it years ago 
back in 1993 when I was working as a sales rep for a laboratory supply business. And, um, you know, I was selling, doing really well. And one time, one of my clients told me, it's like, you know, we don't buy from the company, we buy from you. And, you know, and mm. I said, well, does that mean if I had my own company that you guys would buy from me? Like, yeah, we would buy from you. And so and I started thinking, I said, well, if I'm selling millions of dollars for this organization in a small uh, geographical area being the Midwest, I was like, the whole world is, could be my client, and I certainly can sell at least a million dollars there. And that's when I started BHK Laboratories. And uh, after about year eight, we, were, we hit about a million dollars in sales, and we had customers and clients all over the world, including Japan, uh, the U.K., Germany, Malaysia, Puerto Rico. And so it was something that, as I thought about it, it's like, if anybody can do it, Shelby can do it. And that's one of the things that I teach a lot of the entrepreneurs who I who I work with and who I coach. Mm-hmm. And that's really got me started as I realized when I started that business that I didn't have any resources to help people. And so uh, I made it my life's mission now to not only continue being an entrepreneur, but to also assist other entrepreneurs in developing their businesses. You know, they really need someone, especially when we look in the city of Chicago, people really need someone to hold their hand and help walk them through Mm -hmm. the process and give them the confidence they can actually be successful at a small business. Yeah. I used to love to watch you in action with your classes over at Sunshine Enterprises. And what I liked about your approach is, one, you were very professorial, for better word, but at the same time, you were able to give very, very real-life experiences and break things down in a very simplistic way that you didn't need to have a Ph.D. to to really understand the concepts. You were able to really, really break things down, you know, to the lowest common denominator. And I think that has been really a cause or one of the elements of your success. So can you give us some other tips that I think, you know, along the way that you've learned to synthesize business in the most simple Forms and make it easy for people to go into business and relate to potential customers and all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, it all started, and I, I tell the story of my father who started a business. After he retired, he started a uh, landscaping business, and he was very successful until he um, he couldn't do it no longer, and that's when he was 86 years old. He actually mowed lawns and, and cut grass and shoveled snow until he was 86 years old. Um, oh, and, that's great. You know, one of the interesting things is like he never had the opportunity to go to school because he was he was uh grew up in the south in the 1920s and at that time african-americans didn't have an opportunity to really go to school and but he made his business very successful so as i started helping people one of the things i kept hearing is like you know people need a higher you know education level we need to test them for education and it's like Mm -hmm. one of the things i realized is that entrepreneurship isn't that difficult. You know, you don't need to know Mm -hmm. how to read and write to be successful in business. Is what you have to do is you have to have passion for what you do, and the rest of the stuff gets figured out. So I always thought that in order to teach entrepreneurship, it's not about uh, making it complicated and complex because people will run away. But if you make it simple and fun, people will stay. Mm -hmm. And so when I uh, developed, or techniques 
to really break it down into simple terms and use, use storytelling as a way to get people to understand what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And I always laugh because I tell people, like, even going through college and I uh, have degrees in chemistry and biology, and that's how I really rarely read a book because the textbook, because the textbooks always confuse me. So I would just go and I would take really? notes. Yeah, I'd take notes. And whatever the professor told me, I took that as being the truth, and I never looked into the book unless it was time to do homework. But it was never about reading textbooks, but it was about understanding the concepts. And, I, you know mm. me, I understand concepts better if you just put them on the board and I commit them to memory. And so that's, that was me throughout my entire college life. And I look at most adults like that. It's when, you, when things get too complex and there's too much reading, especially these days where mm-hmm. there's so much information being thrown at you, people just ignore most of it. And so now it's like if you make it very simple, very succinct, and you tell it through stories, people, they understand it, they grasp the concepts, and then it's easy enough for them to apply it to everyday life. So no one really needs to know um, how, you know, what a balance sheet really means in order to be successful in business. Now, you need somebody on your team to help you with that because at some point you should have an accountant. Mm-hmm. But really business is about relationships, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what makes people successful in business. So I really teach more of, you know, you can get all those concepts anywhere, including the Internet, but it's really telling the story of how you how people have applied those concepts to become successful business owners is, I think, what makes the work that I do so successful. And you know what? I want to go go back to, you know, the story you're telling about your dad. You mentioned mm-hmm. that your dad, um, he focused more on work, didn't really have, um, I guess, formal education, so to speak, mm-hmm. not at a very yep. high level, I got that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I look at it as I look at you. You were the valedictorian of Corkery School. You and I have been knowing each other about 10 years. So you oh, you remember that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anybody, who, anybody who knows me has to laugh because they know that was more than ten years ago. But yeah, yeah. you you were you were the valedictorian. You, you were the one before me, right? <laughs> right. I think That's I remember true. that. I think you beat me to it, right? <laughs> but but your parents pushed you. You know, there was something with within you know that they still valued. Education. I, I don't think that you were trying right. to make the point that education isn't important, or that your dad built in you and, and your family a love for education. But what I love about you is you never let all of this technical stuff and education stuff go to your head, so to speak. You could always make things plain. You could all. You always had that quality where you could interact with the uttermost, uppermost and the guttermost, so to speak. And, you know, I think that right. takes you very far in life. Yeah, I think it has, and especially with the clients that we deal with. And you're right, I'm, you know, I tell people education to me is one of the most important things. However, you know, a lot of clients that we have dealt with, they don't have, they didn't have access to education. Even today, whether it's they chose not to or they didn't go to great schools uh, or they you know, so it's one of those things where even adults with some education, business concepts can be complex and foreign to them. So it's like mm-hmm. a good program 
will help break those concepts down to very simple terms where they worry less about uh, understanding everything or remembering everything and more about how do you apply simple concepts to, to the success of your business. And uh, so what I've seen is that people from all walks of life now can use that, that methodology to become successful. So if it's someone who mm-hmm. has an eighth grade education or someone who's a, you know, a Harvard attorney, the same concepts apply. The same concepts actually have to be broken down to help them understand how does that apply to their business and how you can use those concepts to make your business successful. Mm-hmm. And really, I think the mark of a really educated person is not how difficult they make things, but how simple they can make things. Yes, I, I certainly agree. And um, that that's really has been the hallmark, of to me, of any entrepreneurship program, is like how simple can you make it? And uh, the simpler you can, the easier the learning process is. And you think about it. I mean, you're throwing a lot of concepts at people, a lot of foreign concepts. And the simpler you make it, the clearer you make it, the more they understand it, and the more willing they are to come back to hear more. Uh, I always Mm -hmm. tell people, you know, it's like part of your job, too, uh, as you're working with entrepreneurs, is entertainment. I mean, it's like why would people (laughs) come back every week to hear you speak if, they couldn't understand what you're saying, and they didn't have fun doing it. So, like, I would have people in a class from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the evening, and when 9 o'clock hit, they don't want to go home. And so part <laughs> of it, they were entertained, but they also got a lot of information in the process because I feel that mm-hmm. uh, the entrepreneurship journey should be fun. And if it's not fun, mm-hmm. you're not going to do it for long. And uh, you also think about it as early on in the process, you're not making a lot of money. So if you're not making money and the process isn't fun, you have a tendency to drop out a lot quicker. But if it's fun, you have a reason to come back, you know, even if you're not making money. It's like at least I'm having fun doing this or at least I'm following my passion. And that's really what, to me, what makes successful entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I was really, really impressed, you know, when I read the story about Christia Donaldson She's the CEO of TGIN, and, you know, she also gave you many kudos as to how you helped her with her business. Can you share, you know, a few details about how you came to meet her, what her business is, and how you helped her, and all that good stuff? Sure. I uh, I met Christia, I, I would say, around 2010, 2011, uh, when I was working at the Duman Center, and she came there uh to a workshop, alternative uh, financing strategies for starting a business. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I wasn't I was even teaching, but I was there uh, assisting with the class, and she stood up and she talked about her natural hair care business and how she was trying to get it launched. And there was just so many things she said that really impressed me. And I walked over to her and said, hey, I'm a chemist. I like what you're doing. I want to help you. And from that wow. point on, we started working together and a friendship form as well as uh, me assisting her with her business. So she sells, uh, she was selling natural hair care products along with shea butters. And uh, at the time, she was selling some products online. She had just come off uh, writing a book about natural hair care. And uh, she was like, I'm going to take that, the momentum from that book, create some products around that and sell those products. And she was selling online, 
and, and just really starting the business. Uh, keep in mind, she's a Harvard-educated attorney. So, you know, once <laughs> again, no matter what level you're at, there is some, you know, there's some very simple techniques and simple stuff that you need to learn how to make your uh, business successful. And Christia was just so receptive and very open to, like, learning and information and asking questions. And you figure that most Harvard lawyers know everything, or at least they think they know everything. But she was <laughs> right, humble right. enough to know that she knows contract law well, but she doesn't know she didn't know a lot about starting a business. And um, so I helped her with uh, getting into Walgreens and Target, and worked it, you know, worked with her looking at uh, her marketing materials. It was just anything that she asked, formulation questions, anything she asked, I was there to help her. And so over time, her business grew and grew, and now I think she's projected to do close to $2 million in sales this year, and she just started up in 2010. But she's all over the place now. She's in Target, since Sally's Beauty Supply, Whole Foods, Mariano's, and just a growing business and just a great example of how someone who just has the passion for something can take that mm-hmm. and translate it into a very successful business. And, you know, I, I, I have a feeling one day Christia will be like the natural, the African-American natural hair care product. Some call it a queen because I, I can see her one day taking over other companies and turning it, mm-hmm. turning her work into something huge that uh, will benefit everybody, including a lot of work that she does in the community with hiring people from the community. So uh, it, it was just been a pleasure working with her, and uh, I always look forward to speaking with her and assisting her with any questions that she has. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think I read in one article about her that one of her specialties was mergers and acquisitions. So, yeah, that, that sounds like a very natural fit for her. And then also as you were talking about her, I thought about um, Mr. Johnson with Johnson Hair Products. It, it sounds mm-hmm. Uh, you know, her start sounds very similar to his, you know, just bringing you into the mix, too. So, I don't know, it just brought back memories. I, you know, I'll be glad when we get back to the days, if we ever get back to the days of black entrepreneurship, you know, where Chicago was, you know, the mecca for black entrepreneurs. And hopefully, Shelby, with you starting your new ventures and um, continuing to help others, maybe that is very possible. Yeah, I think it is possible. Actually, I know it's possible because what I've been seeing lately is I've been seeing mm-hmm. more and more African-American entrepreneurs rising up saying, I really want a, to grow a successful business. And one of the things that we have seen in the past is that many entrepreneurs, African-American entrepreneurs, have very small businesses. They are uh, not hiring people, uh, so it's usually a business of one. But now what I see is mm-hmm. that people are saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm – we want to break that mold, and that's that's really has been the backbone of the work that I've been doing. It's really helping break that that mold of like you know the small business owner earn, earning less than twenty five thousand a year. So now what we see is we're starting to see many more clients come through who are opening retail establishments, who are opening commercial establishments, getting into mm-hmm. Whole Foods and Mariano's, uh, finding other opportunities and in, say, Rush Hospital and the University of Chicago. So all of this is, like, I think we're on the cusp of, like, an explosion of African-American entrepreneurs uh, 
and Chicago being one of the a huge mecca for African American entrepreneurs. And it's exciting to see because I a lot of people I work with I, I take a step back and it's like I remember when they just had an idea and now they're making sixty mm-hmm. or seventy thousand dollars a year, you know, take home in their business. And it's like those mm-hmm. are the types of stories that we don't hear about in our community and but there are a lot of those stories now. Oh, that is great. You know, when I hear you talk about that, I think about this meeting I went to just last month. I'm on the County Commission on Social Innovation, and Mm -hmm. we had some folks talking about manufacturing. And one of the problems that we have here in Chicago and Cook County is manufacturing concerns, for the most part, have been um, very tightly held corporations, many family-owned businesses, uh, mm-hmm. male, white-dominated, and they're coming to a point where, you know, they're aging out of the business, having difficulty transferring the business to family members, mm-hmm. you know, who are either, you know, not interested in the business at all or they may not necessarily um, have, you know, competence in, in that area. Mm-hmm. So what what they're thinking about is um, figuring out ways that, these owners can transfer their businesses and also make sure that there are um, African Americans and Latinos and other minorities who are positioned to take over these businesses. Are you aware of a network of black folks who might be interested in in manufacturing and and maybe acquiring existing manufacturing businesses? You know, one of them may be me. (laughs) Uh, but you know, okay. that's, the, that's one of the things I've, I've always discussed, and, and you know, one of the challenges that have come up, and that there's always a financial barrier to that. Mm-hmm. And so, what we really okay. need to see is we need to see African Americans coming together, developing partnerships, and taking those, taking these ideas out to larger funders to fund these projects and. You know, mm-hmm. and it can easily be done. But usually the one problem that most African-American business owners have is the access to capital. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. times is we haven't really been taught how to develop partnerships, how their strength in numbers, and how, like, a group of five can accomplish what, like, almost what 15 people can do, but a, one person by himself can't really accomplish anything. You know, so there mm-hmm. is strength in numbers. And so what we really need to do is uh, start groups of African-American business owners or potential business owners and investors and bring in other investors to, to come in and say, you know, this, these are the types of manufacturing pro- projects we need in Chicago, and either we're going to start developing them or, and mm-hmm. or we're going to start buying them start buying up already existing businesses and build up on that. And that's, that's the easiest way to do it. So, uh, you know, it, it, and there's really no simple answer to it, but it really has to be mm-hmm. a, someone pulling all of this together and pulling, bringing the right people to the table to make sure that these processes happen. And, uh, but that would be a great way in, in my eyes for African-Americans, mm-hmm. for African-Americans to increase ownership in, in, in uh, manufacturing business. And another thing is the city of Chicago with their Neighborhood Opportunity Fund and other programs that they have. Um, they have been very supportive of small business. And so uh, mm-hmm. even seeking uh, funding 
for low-income or underserved communities, and to think about instead of putting a restaurant somewhere, you know, how about let's put a manufacturing facility somewhere uh, because the manufacturing mm-hmm. facility are going to create more jobs. And, it, and one thing I like about manufacturing is that it brings dollars into the community. Usually with a restaurant, the dollar tends to just circulate around the community uh, because mm-hmm. usually restaurants are very local, and some aren't, but a lot of them are just you live in the community and you're going to patronize that restaurant. When you think about manufacturing, there are you know millions of dollars coming into a community. Then those dollars are used to pay people, and you would mm-hmm. want to hire from the community. And then those dollars are then now spread out throughout the community and hopefully supporting other small businesses. And so to me, that's a great ecosystem for revitalizing neighborhoods. Uh, so it has to be more than just a service-based business, but it should be product-based businesses that are bringing in dollars from all over the country or maybe even the world and then redistributing those dollars to employ people in the community and then encourage those people to then employ those dollars into small businesses in the community. And that way everybody thrives. Uh, and then no one's mm-hmm. looking for a handout because it's it's all based on just simple economic principles. Awesome. Okay, well, on that note, Shelby, I need to invite you to our meeting. We're having a public meeting, and when I say we, that's the Cook County Commission on Social Innovation. Um, That commission was started and is chaired by Commissioner Jesus Garcia, who is your former alderman. He's now Cook County Uh Commissioner. Uh He is the chair of this commission. The vice chair is Mark Lane, and he's an attorney, and we're having a meeting on Thursday, 17th of August at 4 o'clock, and on the agenda will be, uh, there's going to be a resolution. Um, In fact, let me read you a few words. Um, BMO Harris Bank has generously offered to sponsor and fund the cost of, quote, an ownership conversion forum where business owners and employees, funders, relevant organizations, and interested members of the public would convene to explore the opportunities presented by manu- I'm sorry, presented by manufacturing, retention, and worker ownership strategies, including ownership by African Americans, Latinos, women, and others committed to retaining companies and jobs in Cook County. So we're going to review this resolution on Thursday, and then there's going to be a meeting. They don't mention the time in this draft resolution, but mark off October 4th for um, for that convening at Zemo Harris. I think you and maybe others that you might know and you know, members of our listening audience would be ideal candidates to come and listen, you know, and even if you're not interested, and I'm not talking about you, Shelby, but other people in our audience, if you're not interested, you may know of others who should be there, and if they can't make it, you come into the room and take notes and, and share them with um, your constituency. So this is just perfect timing and Mark is going to be a guest on the show next week. So I, I think, Shelby, you and others who are aspiring to um, be manufacturers, um, as well as other people who are 
interested in innovation should um, listen in next week to Mark Lane. Mark is the um, head of Mark. Uh, Mark, I know he's an attorney. He he's got a wealth management um, company as well as you know he advises nonprofits and social enterprises, and he's very active on the social enterprise scene, both locally and nationally. So that that's somebody you should know. I'm sorry, I right. digress. <laughs> That's okay. I definitely want to know him. I'll definitely. I'll be on vacation next week, but I'm certainly going to listen in. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I'm going to awesome. put it on my calendar, and I definitely will uh, make sure I, I uh, set aside an hour to listen to the show because I certainly would have some questions for him. Okay. Great. Great. And on that note, I know that when you were with Sunshine Enterprises, you made significant on inroads, right? With University of Chicago, helping them to develop programs for local entrepreneurs. You know, would you like to expound upon the work that you did with them and let us know whether or not there are any strategies right. in the works to, to work with entrepreneurs yeah. who are interested in the Obama Presidential Library? Yeah, so um, actually I, I would hope to continue that work on, uh, even though I'm not with Sunshine. Uh, but there are a couple of initiatives that are going on, and one is uh, working with the Alderman Leslie Harrison and others who are in the community. And there are just there are numerous uh, discussions about community redevelopment in the South Shore area uh, around where the location of the Obama Library will be. And so um, I certainly want to stay in those discussions and make sure that uh, entrepreneurs, the local entrepreneurs, get a crack at being able to establish businesses uh, and even participate in some of the work that is going on with the Library and Presidential Center. And then another initiative the University of Chicago has going on is they're developing a new uh, uh, incubator space uh, that's really focused around uh, more wet lab space because their current Polsky Center is more about technology, but they're looking for one now mm -hmm. to focus more on biotech and and biology and chemistry. Uh, and so we're in talks now on how we can, uh, because I'm part of the design team, the initial design team, mm -hmm. and we're talking about how now we can set aside some space to support local entrepreneurs. Uh, and because a lot of the entrepreneurs that we serve are either in the food, beverage, or hair care, skin care products business, and they're making mm -hmm. stuff at home. And they're, they don't have the facilities to do the proper testing, uh, and so what we're trying to do now is think about how a facility like that could be not necessarily, you know, a small entrepreneur would think about, like, I could be a part of that. But they really can be because some of the work they do is really, like, specialized chemistry work, you know, in every mm. sense of the word. So it's like, so how can we put together space for that local entrepreneur who's doing maybe a hair care product, a skin care product, or other personal care products, and how can then the university set up a program to assist them with testing, uh, with access to capital, with access to manufacturing? Uh, so there's so many initiatives that are going on in the city, uh, not just through the city of Chicago, but through various organizations. And it's like, how can we really help the small entrepreneur? Because really, you think about it, a lot of them have been passed over. You know, you have your 1871s, you have your Polsky Center, and Blue 1647. And most of them 
are really designed towards that tech entrepreneur. And but we mm-hmm. have these everyday entrepreneurs like a Christia Donaldson and her product is a high tech, but it did require some testing. Uh, you know, some food products need nutritional values, and they require uh, they require that test and they require the facilities. And when those things are available, the entrepreneur can grow much faster instead of running around looking for someone who could actually do testing for him to be somewhere right here in Chicago. And so those businesses, mm. they tend to grow faster because technology is almost like hitting the lottery, come out with a great technology product. But there have been so many small food entrepreneurs, uh, personal care products, hair skin care product entrepreneurs. They've been doing really well, and it doesn't take long to – once you get a following, it doesn't take long to get to that point where you can make it a make it a true business. So those mm-hmm. are a few things that we've been working on, and you know I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are opportunities that will be coming down uh, the pipe for me and, and and especially for entrepreneurs in the city of Chicago. And, and I'm definitely going to keep my finger on the pulse of all of that. Okay, great. Okay, so I would like to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit You, and today's guest is Shelby Parchman, a local entrepreneur. We'll be taking questions and comments from our listeners at about 2.30 or so, and it's 2.33, so we're just a little bit behind. So our call-in number is 347, area code 884-8121. Again, that phone number is 347 347- Eight eight four eight one two one. You can also post comments in our chat room or post on Facebook. In order to post questions for Shelby, you have to like our Facebook page. And then in order to post questions, you don't need an account uh, necessarily to uh, listen. Well, you can open a listener-only account, and then you can participate in our chat room, but it looks like we might have a caller here. Let me check and see if the caller is interested in making a comment or asking a question of you, Shelby. Hold on just one moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hello, caller. We don't have your number, but we see that you've just called in. Does that mean that you that you are interested in making a comment, or do you have a question for Shelby? Such a head will play a song for you right now. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> that chicken head, at any rate, I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. But yes, yes, um, before yes. <laughs> everybody likes to, to joke, right? Yep. So uh, so then, um, yeah, I, I got a comment from that chicken head. Why did you do that? And, and that, do you know that chicken head? No, I don't. Okay, neither do I. So um, apparently he was um, not liking the fact that he didn't finish his comment, but I, I, I don't know what the screen was about. But at any rate, I want to thank you so much, Shelby, for coming onto the show. And before we get back into our discussion, I just want to remind our listening audience that I'm going to be having an upcoming compliance challenge 
Um, I find that in my practice, it doesn't matter what we're working on. It could be strategic planning. It could be board development. It could be a business plan or what. Uh, it seems that all roles lead back to nonprofit compliance, and many of my clients have issues with that. And then we found that in the state of Illinois and even Chicago, um, 40% of nonprofits have lost their tax-exempt status because they have not filed their paperwork, um, Form 990, for three years in a row. So I'm going to be hosting a 30-day compliance challenge, and that's a series of four webinars to help nonprofit leaders understand you know, what paperwork is necessary on the federal and state levels, go through examples, and then within 30 days of completing that series, we hope to get you up to speed. So if you're interested in that series of workshops, give me a call at 773-571-3886, or you can email me at consulting at ValerieFLeonard.com. So at this point, Shelby, I want to get a sense. That I know right before the show we're talking about the fact that you're going to be entering a new venture, and um, I'm just wondering if you would care to share some details, at least the part that you can share with the listening audience. Sure. Uh, so my next venture is uh, I'm going to open a shared commercial kitchen in the Bronzeville community, um, and that came about from my work at Sunshine, and I was looking at it and saying, well, we have all these food entrepreneurs, and their businesses can't grow because there's a shortage of shared commercial kitchen space in the Chicago area. So uh, outside of Kitchen Chicago, I think there's Lakeview Kitchens, and there's another uh, one over in um, right off Pershing Road uh, near Bridgeport. And uh, basically – like Kitchen Chicago, if you go on their website, they are booked for the next three months. And so there's really mm-hmm. nowhere for our entrepreneurs to go to to be able to produce food because it has to be done in a commercial kitchen and then grow their businesses. Mm-hmm. So most of them have been very limited by, by business growth. So I decided that I looked at it and said, here's a great venture that I can put some money into and make an investment into, and this is something that will help other entrepreneurs. And so um, so I, that's when the idea of Bronzeville uh, Culinary Kitchens started. And um, okay. so if everything goes to plan, we're signing a lease in, a, in about a week or so, and it will be located at 436 East 47th Street uh, in the same building as Gallery Gachard. And uh, so the plan is uh, not only to have shared commercial kitchen space, but also to add some event space to that so we can then partner with Gallery Gachard to hold, host larger events than Gallery Gachard has been able to do. So um, it's a not a true partnership, but it certainly is. If we're going to live next to each other and work next to each other, mm-hmm. uh, we might as well find a way to to do business together and for both businesses to grow. So I'm really looking forward to this opportunity uh, to not only serve entrepreneurs, but also to start a new venture in a community that really uh, – and in that corridor that really needs new business. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's it's one of those things where um, it's, it's been a long time planning, but I can see it all starting to come together now, and I'm very excited about it. You know, what I love is the fact that 
you know, you're looking at, I guess, multiple businesses. You know, one of your businesses is what? Is it vitamin water? The aqua D? Yes. That's yep. vitamin water? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. This next business that you're working on, that's the commercial kitchen. Before that, mm-hmm. you had a laboratory. So it seems to me that the common denominator is not so much the industry itself, but it, it's business acumen and leadership. Would, would you care to comment on that? Sure. And, and that's what I say. It's like um, part of it is that whatever you do and that you're passionate about and you and you do really well, you can find a way to make money doing it. And so, um, mm-hmm. and so that's what I look at. It's like, you know, you develop a certain level of skills, and that's what, you know, the work that I did at Sunshine Enterprises helped you develop a certain skill set. And once you develop that, then you can look at what you're really passionate about. And you, you, and mm-hmm. I tell you, you can always make money on your passion. And there's no such thing as a bad business idea. You know, there's mm-hmm. just poor execution. And I, I, because I used to think like, oh, that's a bad business idea. And then as I started doing more research, I realized that there were so many, quote, unquote, bad business ideas that are making millions of dollars right now. <laughs> I mean, even even back in the day, you know, the personal computer was a bad business idea. And uh, wow. because why would people want a computer at their house, right? And now you look at it, just some of the crazy products that come out and how people make tons of money off of it. I, I used the pet rock as a great example. And it's like if somebody <laughs> told you that they were going to put a rock in a box, call, you know, make a pretty box, call it a pet rock, and they're going to make millions of dollars. And people would have said, you're crazy. But someone actually did that and made millions of dollars. And so, but they knew how to execute. And so mm-hmm. the it's not so much always the idea, but it's how you execute the idea. And that's where the business acumen comes in. So if you take those, you can take those same principles across any business type and if you understand what makes business successful, you understand who your target market could be, and you know you eventually figure it out. And what makes them want to make a purchase? When you get those things figured out, it's much easier to make a product successful. So even because some of the best business ideas have failed, but some of the, the quote-unquote mm-hmm. worst business ideas have succeeded, and they're still around. So you know, and that's why when people come to me and they say, well, what do you think of this idea? And I honestly tell them I can't tell you what I think of the idea because I can't tell you it's bad. All I can tell you is that you really need to figure out how to execute that plan. Mm-hmm. That, that is really, really awesome. And then, too, you know what, I recall that, you know, the last time you were here, and I think it's still relevant today. You know, you mentioned the fact that sometimes we as entrepreneurs, we get too literal in what it is we're selling. You know, we we think if we're selling widgets that we're in the business of selling widgets. So can you yes. give us an example of how we should dig deeper to really understand what it is we're selling in order to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace? Right, yeah. And see, most people feel like if they come up with this product, you know, a widget, and it's like there's a really big demand for that widget. And really the answer is no, there isn't. The widget is just the product or service by which you will make a transaction. 
But if you dig a little deeper and you say, well, what are my customers really looking for? And what, and that's why you're in business. So I use McDonald's as the easiest example. Uh, like they sell hamburgers, but to most people, the hamburgers are not that great. And But why <laughs> is McDonald's selling all of these hamburgers? When there's certainly many other hamburger places that sell a better burger. It's because McDonald's offers something that the other ones can't. Consumers are less interested in having the best burger than they are more interested in having a consistent burger at a very cheap price. Mm -hmm. And so McDonald's, and very convenient. So McDonald's has taken that model, cheap, consistent, and convenient, and they've made it a worldwide business. And so it's much less about the hamburger and more about if I – if I'm hungry, chances are I see a McDonald's, I'm headed there, and, because, and I know what they're going to sell, and I know exactly what I'm going to mm-hmm. get, even if it's mediocre to some. But they still know that they're going to get a consistent level of mediocrity, and that's safe <laughs> for the consumer. And they'll get it just like that. You go to the drive-in, drive-through, you put your money in window one. By the time you get to window two, they're throwing the bag in your lap, and you're moving on. <laughs> but if you're in a hurry, that's price. <laughs> Right, and so yeah, they, so that's they the have model. The process down. Yeah, they have it down to a science, and that's where McDonald's could see because they know if they if they said come buy hamburgers because they're the best hamburgers ever, that is not reason for people to buy them. But if you say come buy our hamburgers because they're cheap, convenient, and consistent, that's what the consumer is looking for, and that's what they're selling. Yes, yes, yes. And then, you know, another piece of advice I remember, you know, from our last conversation is that, you know, contrary to popular belief, entrepreneurs should not focus so much on profits. And, you know, it sounds counterintuitive and defeats the whole purpose of going into business. So what do you mean by that? Well, because profit can always be manipulated. You know, it's like I can make a million dollars and, you know, pay all my bills and, you know, have all my deductions, throw in depreciation, and I haven't turned a profit, but I'm doing really well. Uh, so, but small business owners, usually in the first couple of years of business, you're not going to be profitable. So it's like when you start thinking that, and that's what, what happens is people throw together these unrealistic, you know, pro forma saying like, in the next two years, I'll be at a million dollars in business. You know, my expenses will be $200,000, and I'm going to walk away with $800,000 because they focus on profits. But for small businesses, banks don't really focus on profits when they make lending decisions. They focus on cash flow because cash mm-hmm. flow is what keeps you in business. Profits are, are, you know, they're just paper losses or paper gains that you may not even have money left over. But when you do a, a true right. cash flow projection, you know exactly how much money is coming into business, now, how much is going out? So you know what you need. So as you think about it, if you're growing a small business, you may need extra money. And that money is not always going to come from sales because sales aren't there yet. Cash flow projection will say you're going to have this deficit in, say, month two. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, how are you going to cover that deficit? Because it, mm-hmm. it won't be through profits. It's going to be through cash flow. So I need to come out of my pocket with money. 
I need to go borrow money from the bank. I need to go borrow money from a family member. I need to, you know, dip in the savings. But I have to cover that cash flow because that's mm-hmm. at the end of that month that tells me all the bills have been paid. And that's what keeps you in business. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, profits are cool, but cash is king. And so cash flow projections, are, are, it should be what most, what small business owners focus on first. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. most of the banks I deal with don't even ask for a pro forma profit loss statement. They ask for cash flow projections. Wow, wow. And, and that's interesting. Yeah, when I was in banking, you know, one of the industries I went to was the cable business. And many of those mm-hmm. companies were just starting up and they were cash rich, but not only mm-hmm. made a profit, yet they were engaging right. in all this merger and acquisition activity and, and highly leveraged mm-hmm. transactions, which means, just, you know, a lot of debt. So mm-hmm. case in point, um, cash is king. Um, yep. And another question is, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that sometimes we're afraid as entrepreneurs to show deficits, to show losses to our bankers. We, we look at that as some sign of failure. So there's always this tendency to to put a better picture on, on our financial situation or our financial projections, even though they're unrealistic. But that's actually more mm-hmm. stressful, I think, in, in the long run. I, I think it's better to... Yeah. To be up front, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. run a deficit X, you know, Y, Z number of months, and this is how we're going to, you know, make up right. for it, you know, like you did in your example. Exactly. And, right, and this is why we need your money, <laughs> so we can stay in business, <laughs> right, so we can right. get to the point of generating additional capital, so we can continue paying you back, and that makes life easier for everybody. But, no, most people uh, feel that they should be uh, – that that they really sh- should show in their initial in their initial financial statements that they're going to earn a profit. And bankers aren't dumb. I mean, they know you're not because very few businesses actually turn a profit in the first couple of years. So, you know, if you're just overly optimistic, that really hurts your chances for a loan too because they feel now that you haven't really thought about it. Mhm. And that's a great segue to the next question, which is, you know, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are just starting or growing their own businesses, especially if they're in communities that are struggling and people may not even want to do business in communities, say, like a North Lawndale, where I'm from, where you're from as well, um, Mm -hmm. from Woodlawns, you know, et cetera. You know, what advice would you give to those people who are basically – the first, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, first of all, you really have to get your personal finances in order because the businesses mm-hmm. take money. And so to go in, go out and say you want to start a business without any finances is totally un- unrealistic. And so the second thing is I would suggest that people go to organizations like Sunshine Enterprises. Uh, we have Greater Inglewood uh, CDC. We have uh, so- Greater Southwest Development Corporation, Southeast Chicago Commission. There's so many organizations in the Chicago area, New uh, New Covenant. There's so many organizations in the uh, Chicago area that receive money to help entrepreneurs, and they don't charge a lot of money for their services because they're nonprofits. And so these organizations have been built around uh, assisting entrepreneurs grow businesses in the community. So that should be like the first step that most, I would say 99% of entrepreneurs should make. 
stop in one of these uh, nonprofit organizations, tell them your story, tell them what you want to do, and be open to their assistance because a lot of great things have come out of some of these organizations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you also get a sense, too, that you have to be a little bit more creative when you're working in a developing community. Um, so what what strategies might you engage in if you were in, in one of the developing communities as opposed to if you were downtown? I think in most of those underserved communities, it's really important to let them know that you're a partner in their business. And I, uh, I know that's what really made me successful at Sunshine, is that everybody, all the clients who I work with considered me a partner. And also, mm-hmm. I went out of my way to support their businesses when I could by buying goods, buying services, making connections to other people. And so it's, it's creating, once again, creating an ecosystem where everybody feels that there's help, people care about me, and people care about the success of my business. And so if as organizations look to grow, those are the things that they really should focus on because, once again, those entrepreneurs are really looking for more than just tell me what a cash flow statement looks like or, you know, you know, what does it mean? You know, how do I improve my social media, you know, likes or results and searches and things like that? Those things are cool, but uh, it becomes more personal than that. And so that's mm-hmm. what I've noticed that clients are seeking. They're looking for that personal level of service where you really care about them, where if somebody has a business, a baking business, go visit them and help them bake a cake. You know, they have a, uh, you know, a, a widget business and they're making widgets. Go help them make the widgets. Because that's the way you help people. You understand what their business is, what their business model is. And and then they also feel that you're walking the walk with them. And to me, that's mm-hmm. just so invaluable. Old saying, you know, nobody wants to, <laughs> nobody cares unless they know first that you care, right? Nobody cares yeah, to hear what you exactly. have to say. Unless, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so you, and that's what, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh, oh I was going to say, that's, well, okay. that's one of the things that I, I think that makes uh, organizations successful is that they really show that sense of caring. And, uh, you know, I noticed that, like, part of the work that you do in the communities, they have some social work component to it as well because mm-hmm. it's not just that people don't know how to start a business, but they also usually have some other underlying issues that also need to be addressed mm-hmm. before they feel comfortable going out and starting a business. So it really takes more than just, uh, like when you look at people who visit, say, a downtown <clears throat> program, it's like most of these people have already the resources that available. They have, you know, money. They have they have fewer issues going on in their lives. But when you start getting down to the, the level of underserved community, they use the other issues that go on where people are not necessarily employed or people mm-hmm. have other issues that are impediments to their success. So you have to be very conscious of those and to make sure that mm-hmm. a person trusts you enough to let, you know, to tell you about those things. And that way you can help them even more because now you're understanding the obstacles that are facing them and the challenges that are facing them. So you can help them get over those things as well. Okay, great. 
Um, before we go, if there are any callers um, or wannabe callers, please um, give us a call. Area code 347-884-8121. We're talking to Shelby Parksman. He is a serial entrepreneur, and and not to be mistaken with the serial, <laughs> serial killer, but he is killing the business, right? That's the important thing. So yes. give us a call. <laughs> give us a call at 347-884-8121 if you have any questions. And, and Shelby, while we're waiting for people to call. And, and if you're in the chat room as well, um, feel free to to comment or um, give us questions. So before we go, can you share three lessons that you've learned, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business coach, or just, just life, le- uh, life lessons learned um, that you'd like to share with the listening audience? Sure. Uh... And it's very simple. Number one is, like, you have to stay passionate. You have to stay mm-hmm. focused. And you have to stay true to yourself. And those three things will carry you a long way, not only in life, but in business as well. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would add discipline. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. That's something that, that I struggle with um, constantly, you know, because I'm passionate about a lot of things. Um, but, you know, you, you can't be passionate about everything at once. <laughs> that, right. That needs to be and we see, I a see a lot of people like, oh, yeah. It's like I, all of these things I want to do. And it's like, well, pick one, right? right? And just pick one at a time. Right. Get that one going. Then let's pick, find something else. But, like, just don't try to, like, throw it all into one bowl. Right. And, and that's something I struggle with. You know, I, I can be, you know, terribly focused, you know, to to a degree, you know, to one extreme, and then sometimes I'm trying to multitask to a point where it it becomes less effective for everything I'm engaged in. So right, I, I'm exactly. learning. <laughs> I'm learning to balance. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, it, you know, that balance because when you're passionate about things, it's like you just want to do it, and you know, fortunately, I mean, fortunately, for whatever reason, it's like. A lot of times people have more than one passion, more than one thing they want to do. And it's like, so it's like, how do you balance all that? And how do you stay focused and say, okay, I need to mm-hmm. take it one step at a time. Look at this one thing, get it to a level of completion, and then start something else. But the, you know, most people commonly just want to just jump head first into everything. And that's just not a good way of doing it because you don't become productive like that. Right. Okay, so we've come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank you once again, Shelby Parchman. And, you know, just for folks who are just joining us, Shelby is a serial entrepreneur. He has recently worked as the managing director of Sunshine Enterprises, as well as, you know, in his former life, has worked with the Duman. What is it? The, what's the name of the Duman organization, Duman, Shelby? Yeah, Duman Entrepreneurship Center. Okay, so he's got significant experience. And if we want to get in contact with you at some point, is, is there a way that our listening audience can keep in touch with you? Sure, they can email me, and it's just Shelby L. Parchman at Gmail. Okay, Shelby L. Parchman at Gmail dot com, and you know, make sure you keep us informed of your latest business developments. You know, we would love to 
have you back. You know, you always have a wealth of information. It's so interesting, you know, some of the questions that we covered today, we covered two years ago, but you had a different slant. And I I think that's really, really good. So I I really appreciate that. Great. Well, it's always uh, great being on the show. Mm -hmm. Any closing remarks? Uh, I would just say anybody who's interested in starting a business, just follow your passion, and uh, that will take you a long way into being successful. And certainly I'm always open for uh, for advice. And, you know, if you have things you want to run past me, but always remember that I will never tell you that your business idea is a horrible business idea. So at least take comfort in that fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. So I want to thank our listening audience for listening to Nonprofit U Blog Radio Talk Show today. The show will be available for download within about an hour. Be sure to tune in next week when our guest will be Mark J. Lane. He is the chair of I'm sorry, the vice chair of the Cook County Commission on Social Innovation and he also heads his own law firm which has also a subsidiary where they work with wealth management. So he's going to come to us next week, and he's going to share some of the updates on the commission as well as give us insights into innovative ways of doing business as a social enterprise. So until that time, thank you very much, and you take care. All right, thank All right, you, you Shelby. Too, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Bye-bye. take care. All right, bye-bye.